Welcome to Peak City Church. We pray that this message fills you with hope and encourages you wherever you are. Also, follow us on social media at Peak City Co. to stay connected with us. Be blessed. It is good to be in the house, and uh, it's always a privilege anytime I get to um, do anything here, really. I love this community. I love what's happening on every team. So whether I get to serve behind the scenes or get to serve up here, it's all a blessing. And I just want to thank our pastors, Petey, Brittany. They're just amazing. And, I, you know, I love them. They've been so life-giving to us. And I, it's an honor to get up here and to communicate. And I know that for them, as they've built this house over the last few years and the culture that's here, it's hard to let your baby, like, you know, release it into someone's hands for a day. So I, I honor them and I thank them for that. Can we just like thank them? I know they may be watching. We just want them to know, man, we love you guys. So grateful for you. And um, so today I'm gonna, I'm gonna preach to you um, a message that I mean, I just really feel like it is tailor made for this church right now um, in, in this season. And even after the first service, I had people come up to me that said specifically, some of the specific things you said are exactly what I'm dealing with right now. And I just believe God does those kinds of things that, he, that you're here on purpose, you're not here on accident, and God wants to communicate to you this morning. You believe that? Well, um, let's pray. Let's open up in prayer and then we'll jump in. Jesus, we're so grateful for today, for just the privilege of being a part of your local church, that you invited us in to be part of your family. And it is an honor to be here. I just pray that I would not be a distraction from what you want to say today. I thank you for the word that you've already given me, but now it's your time. So Lord, I just pray that, um, that as people hear me communicate, they would ultimately hear your voice speaking. So we open up our heart, let the word of God be planted in. We welcome whatever you would say to us today in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. amen. Uh, so a few years ago, I was leaving a Bass Pro Shop. Not the one here in another state. We lived in Louisiana for a while. Uh, well, my whole life. And then we moved. <laughs> but in one of the Bass Pro Shops there, we were leaving the parking lot one day and we're merging onto uh, a main highway to get onto the interstate. And as we're leaving, there's a line of traffic all leaving. And this one guy decides to fly past all of us and cut everybody off in line. So this one guy flies past us and he cuts everyone off. He gets to the light and the light turns red. Now, right behind me was a typical Bass Pro Shop truck, if you know what I mean. Four-wheel drive, lifted, big tires, you know, gun racks in the back window, a real tree logo on the, on the window, all that stuff. This guy was not having the cutoff. So he gets out of his vehicle at the red light, and it's a beautiful Louisiana day. Everybody had their windows rolled down. He walks up to the guy who had cut everyone off, whose window is down, and he firmly punches the guy in the face. Right there, can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah, all the people who hate people who cut them off, this was their moment to shine. He punches them in the face and he runs back to his vehicle. I'm sitting there and I'm like, what am I witnessing right now? The guy gets out of his vehicle and he starts walking back. He's kind of stumbling around, he's dazed and confused. He stops at my car. My window's down, which I'm seriously reconsidering that decision at this moment. And he looks in and he points at me and he says, you. And I'm like, maybe he's talking to you, bro. I hope he's not talking to me. He says, you. And I'm like, yeah. He's like, did you see that? 
And I was like, yeah, I saw it, man. That was crazy, crazy times we live in, right? And he's like, can I count on you? I don't know what he's talking about. Count on you. I'm not about to get in a fist fight outside of Bass Pro Shop, but I'm, I'm in the moment. You know, like when you're in the moment, you're just like, you just go with it. And I'm like, yeah, man, I saw it and you can count on me. I don't even know what that means, but I got you. Light turns green. And I, I have never betrayed someone so fast in my life because I sped around that guy and I was out of there. I wasn't about to get up in that. Of all the things I thought that would happen that day, that afternoon, that was not it, right? It's a crazy situation. And sometimes life can be so insanely unpredictable that it's similar to that, that you can feel like all of a sudden with that diagnosis or that firing or that friendship that betrayed you, that thought you were gonna be there, it can feel like life has punched you in the face. It can feel like I have no idea how I got here or what I'm gonna do from this point on. I wanna call it today, today's message is called the cone of uncertainty. Life is full of these cones of uncertainty. And, and, and what, just to explain to you what this means, it's an actual term that's used in a lot of different areas, but specifically in my culture, growing up in Louisiana, we heard this every year, multiple times a year. Because the cone of uncertainty is the potential path that a hurricane could take from the moment that is established as a tropical storm. So I've got a couple of images I wanna show you. This is from National Weather Service and it shows like, okay, so at 11 a.m., this is when we recognize this as a real threat. But by the time we get to Tuesday, it could hit somewhere between Lafayette, Louisiana and Corpus Christi, Christi. Rice Krispie treats in my mind today. Uh, all the way to Corpus Christi, Texas. That's a huge cone. That's a massive place. That, that's so much potential damage that this thing could hit. I want to show you a couple of hurricane paths that are real hurricanes that have happened. Look at this crazy thing. Came through the Gulf, went all the way back around, comes back in and hits again. It's like we're coming back for seconds. I want you to see this other one. Look at this other path. This one came through. It's like, oh, we think the eastern seaboard's going to get it. No, you know what? Let's just go ahead and hit a couple states. I want to show, show you. This is one November. This is all the hurricanes. I mean, this looks like spaghetti. It's crazy what storms, it's almost like they have a mind of their own. In my whole life growing up, we, every year we would determine, okay, this thing could come here. What kind of category storm is it going to be? Are we going to evacuate? Are we going to ride it out? What are we going to do? And we did both all through my life. And it was just crazy. But that cone of uncertainty, I believe it represents what some of you may be facing right now, what all of us have faced at at least one point in our life, where we ask the questions, what's going to happen next? And God, why do you seem so silent in this moment? Because the truth is, if we knew exactly what was going to happen, we would go into those moments with preparation and understanding and we'd be ready for them. But those moments of uncertainty are part of the Christian life. We've experienced a lot of that over our lives. We, we planted a church. It's a big cone. We, uh, we adopted both of our kids. That's a big cone. We moved to Montana, that's a big cone. We moved to here to Colorado, that's a big cone. Uh, we planted a, we started a business here, that's a big cone. But what we've learned through all of those moments is that our faith would never have had the chance to grow like it has without those moments of uncertainty. So even though that cone of uncertainty is incredibly uncomfortable, nobody likes to be in it, 
It's the only way that our faith can grow. It's the only way that you can really trust in God without some uncertainty. Faith isn't really faith. In James 4, I love how Jesus' brother James says this, and he challenges the church to speak in and live in this way. He says, look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we're going to a certain town and we'll stay there for a year. We'll do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. What a great picture of the cone of uncertainty. It's here for a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. And we experienced this in a real level when we were connected to a church in Mexico and we went there multiple times a year for mission trips and helping them build structures and churches and homes and and, and doing street ministry with them. And every time that we would set out on something that day, we're gonna build today if the Lord wills. We're gonna go and do some street evangelism today if God allows it. And everything that they said was if God allows this is what we're gonna do. And I was so convicted because I live in such a, you know, we're spoiled in America. We live in this very reciprocal world where like our, we expect our relationships to be reciprocal. You're gonna re- return to me the effort that I put into this relationship. We, put, we expect our financial investments to have the same reciprocation where I put in a certain amount. I'm gonna get, this is gonna be healthy for me. We expect that from our churches. I'm gonna give, I'm gonna be a part of this and I expect you to be there for me whenever I need you to be there for me. We, we, we give in all the parts of our lives. We expect a certain thing in return, but life honestly is just not like that. Life is very different from that. And, and one of the things that I noticed about myself and like when, when I grew up in Louisiana, you know, I grew up in a place where there was, it was flat as, actually it was flatter than the Eastern side of Colorado and trees are 30, 40 feet tall. So as you're driving down the road, you never see anything. You don't know where you're going. You just hope that around the curve, you're gonna be going to your destination. You can't see it. But the first time I'd ever gone to Montana, they call Montana the big sky country. And you see it a lot here too, where you can see like so much at one time. I'd never experienced that. I was blown away and I loved it because I could see a storm 50 miles away. And sometimes a storm would never even come to us. And it's like, this is crazy. I feel godlike right now. Like, I understand everything that's going on around me. I can see what's coming. I can understand the situation I'm in, like, way better. First time I ever saw a train in my life. And I'm not talking about, like, the cars flying by. When I was in Montana, we got up on this hill, and I saw a train. I've never seen this before. And maybe you're like, okay, okay, it's something we see all the time. I saw the whole train. It was amazing. The beginning to the end of the train. I had never seen that. I was blown away. I had, seen the, I had seen cars fly by as we stopped in the swamp on a road and the trains would pass by. I'd seen that. But honestly, that's what our life is like. We're on this train. We're, we're flying down the road and we're seeing life fly by like this. We don't understand the whole picture, but God has that perspective where he sees it all. He sees the beginning and the end. He sees the destination. He sees every, every stop along the way. And that's why we have to learn, even though our life is so uncertain and we see this constantly, he sees the whole thing so he can be trusted with it all. He can be trusted with the big picture of our life, even though we can't possibly fathom what's happening and where we're going. And our daughter... I'm going to tell a story about her um, a few times today. We'll kind of dig into her story a little bit. But both of our kids are adopted. 
through the foster care system, which is difficult on its own. And um, my daughter is now 15, and she came to live with us when she was about five and a half. Adorable, isn't she? And she, um, she had been through multiple homes. The first, the home that she um, grew up in was an abusive home. She ended up in the foster care system and hopped around from home to home before she came with us. She lived a very uncertain life. And if you know anything about foster care, then a lot of kids will kind of, you know, like they'll, they'll portray these kinds of attributes where she would end up, she would hide food at night because she didn't know for sure if her next meal was gonna come. And she would ask us all the time, what are we doing today? At, like right after lunch, what are we doing tomorrow morning? What are we doing here and there? She wanted to know what's gonna happen. What's my life gonna be like? Can I count on you guys to provide safety for me, um, to, to, to let me experience what I should be experiencing as a kid? She had to learn to trust us. And over the years, the faithfulness of her father and mother gives her now confidence so she doesn't ask those questions anymore. She has trust in us. And that's how our relationship with God works, that over time, the things that he has done gives us faith for the things that we hope he will do. You see that even in the Old Testament where they would, they would, the Jewish people would say, hey, tie these reminders around your finger. Build these structures where you can recall the things that God has done so that when you get in a pickle and you realize, I don't know what's coming up. I'm in the middle of the cone of uncertainty right now. I can remember all he's done in the past. And that's a, it's a great thing to even do now. Remember, write down the things that God has done so that in the future you can recall those things and have faith for the future. So I wanna, I'm gonna look at a story today in the rest of our time in Luke 24 where these disciples wake up the morning on the third day that Jesus had promised he would return. And these two disciples that we find ourselves in the middle of their story, they had just heard that Jesus had actually made an appearance and he had, and he had risen from the dead. So they had heard this, but this news was not convincing enough for them. So they're actually on their way out. And it says in verse 13, that same day, the day Jesus was risen, two of Jesus's followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. Now you wonder, why are they leaving? Why are they walking away from Jerusalem? Jerusalem is where Jesus' ministry was. It is where Jesus had had possibly risen again is where he said he was gonna rise again. And all of his disciples now are in this place where they're now fearing for their lives. Jesus had just been crucified. So these disciples and others are probably wondering, are we gonna be next? Are we gonna be on a cross in a week? Is it gonna be us? So it seems to me like they're evacuating, they're leaving, they see the cone of uncertainty, the storm possibly coming their way and they're like, we've gotta get out of here. So they head to Emmaus, and it says in verse 14, as they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus suddenly came and began walking with them. That's such a cool picture. And so many times you find yourself in a road and you think you're on that road alone, and Jesus is right there. In verse 16, <laughs> that's so cool. God kept them from recognizing him. So they didn't know that it was Jesus. And he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short. Sadness across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened here the past few days. 
There's a lot here that we're gonna unpack in a second, but the first thing, if you're taking notes, you gotta understand this. You have to find a hope community instead of a doubt community. You gotta find people who are gonna build your faith, who are gonna inject hope into you instead of doubt. I've seen it time and time again being in church ministry that people who love to doubt find other people who love to doubt. They get together, faith begins to fall apart. I've seen people walk away from their faith completely because they surrounded themselves with other people who thought doubt was the destination. Now look, doubt's part of the Christian life. It's part of my life. I doubt every week. I've got all kinds of things that I bring to the Lord. God, you've got to give me an answer for this. I don't understand this. Doubt is part of your maturity in Christ. But it is not where we are going. We are not going to doubt. Doubt is part of it, but it's not the destination. And, and I've seen so many people unravel something so much that they can't get it back together. My son had a dirt bike uh, a couple of months ago that stopped working, the crankshaft wasn't working, couldn't start it anymore. So, you know, me and my father-in-law, we looked, took a look at it and we're like, you know what, I think that we can probably fix this crankshaft. So we start taking it apart and, you know, I'm not a great mechanic and we're messing with this thing and all of a sudden, this coil situation explodes on us. I mean, it's just like metal coil everywhere that's, that makes this whole thing run. And I'm looking at it and the mess of it, and my first thought is, how fast can I get a new one of these from Amazon? Because there is no way I'm getting this thing back together. When I was a kid, I don't know if this is you, but I used to take apart toys. My brother would take apart toys. We would do this all the time. We'd see how the motors would work, and we'd connect into nine-volt batteries and, you know, just run everything and see how it worked. And my brother's an engineer now because he loves taking apart and putting things back together. And What's crazy, though, is I've seen so many people unravel so far that there's nothing left. And these two guys, these two disciples, had been with Jesus. Most people believe that Cleopas and this other unknown disciple were part of the greater 70 disciples, not the intimate 12, but the 70 who were also sent out by Jesus. They had, they had been at Jesus' feet. They had been in his teachings. They understood what he was going to do. They knew his plan. But in this moment, in this cone of uncertainty, their faith begins to fall apart, and neither one of them is helping the other. They're both walking on this road of doubt, evacuating, leaving together, talking about how bad things are. When all the rest of the disciples were singing living hope because they had just heard the rumors that Jesus was out of the grave, they're running away. And I wonder how many times, because we're in the wrong communities, we miss out on what God is actually doing, and we tell ourselves these lies, and we believe these things that just feed our doubt for no reason. Because Jesus was risen. They just hadn't seen it. I had a moment in our daughter's story where uh, she was with us for a couple of years. Now, my wife and I had tried to have kids for 13 years. So for us, the foster care system was hopefully an opportunity for us to adopt a child. And if you know anything, it's pretty rare if you know anything about the foster care system that you would adopt a child that you were fostering. It's really kind of a temporary thing. And I'm, I'm all for families being back together, but our heart was in having a kid of our own. And for us, having Brooklyn with us that long she felt like our child. And then all of a sudden we get news that there's a family member that wanted to take Brooklyn. And this family member didn't know her, never met her. They lived out of state and we just didn't believe that that was the best fit for her. 
So we were beginning to live in this doubt that we were gonna lose the daughter that God had given us. So we're asking all these questions. God, what are you doing? We had a missionary that came to our church one weekend in the middle of all that. And he's like, I don't remember which nation he's from, but he's like a Slavic nation missionary, like, like a Russian tough guy. Like, you know what I mean? Like no, no bull guy. And so he preaches that Sunday. He comes to the offices the next day. He's talking with all of us and I'm talking with him in my office and I'm telling him the story and telling him my fears that we might lose our daughter and all of this stuff. And then my, my wife, Brooke, and my daughter, Brooklyn, walk in. And by the way, her name was Brooklyn. We didn't like name her Brooklyn to be like Junior Brooke, you know? <laughs> that was like how she came. Um, so they walk in and I introduce them to this missionary. And I say, this is my wife, Brooke. And this is my foster daughter, Brooklyn. And I tell him the story and they leave. And as soon as they leave, he turns to me and he slaps me in the face. I know what you're thinking. You're around a lot of violence. <laughs> she slaps me in the face and he points at me and he says, don't you ever call her foster daughter. How would you like it if God calls you foster son? And I was like, bro, two things. We don't slap like that over here. <laughs> Second thing, I don't really know what you said just now, but it sounds pretty spiritual. Um, so we're going to just go with that for a little bit. And I just was struck by the fact that this guy who did not know me, did not know our family, did not know our story, heard our story and was like, yes, God can do that. Sometimes we need people who have speak in the language of faith to inject hope into our life. This guy didn't know us. He didn't know our story, but he had more faith for my story than I did. He sees Brooklyn later in the hallway and he pulls her aside, little six-year-old self, and he whispers in her ear. So I pull Brooklyn aside later and I'm like, what, what, did, uh, what did Yusef say? Or whatever his, or his name was. <laughs> trying to come up with like a Slavic name. Uh, anyway, so um, she says, he told me, and with a big smile on her face, he told me that I was gonna get to stay with you guys forever. And I'm like, I'm gonna go find this missionary and put him in the ground because you do not do that to a kid. Inject false hope in this kid. I'm living, I'm living in doubt at this moment. Nothing but doubt for me. But this man had faith and he built her faith and he built my faith, even though it was so confusing at that time. And you need somebody in your life who is gonna build your faith when it seems impossible for you to conjure it up on your own. Verse 19, we'll come back to the story in a second. Verse 19, Jesus keeps playing along as they're like, you must be the only person who doesn't know, which by the way, is fascinating because Jesus is the only person who does know. They're like, Jesus, or man, stranger, uh, you don't know what's going on in Jerusalem? You're the only person who's never heard? And Jesus is like, no, actually, I am the only one who's ever known what it's like. And I think it's fascinating to us because we can get in these moments and we're like, and, and we can accuse God of not being familiar with our stories. God, there's no way you could know how I feel right now. Why would you put me in this situation? I'm the only one who's ever dealt with this. I'm the only person who's ever, you would never understand. And when the book of Hebrews says that Jesus actually was made a man so that he could 
empathize with us and in every way be familiar with what you endured, with what you're enduring right now. So he's not unfamiliar. He's very familiar with your story right now. So Jesus keeps on playing with them. Uh, what things, Jesus asked. <laughs> He's like, keep telling me. Uh, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. Listen, to this. this is so key. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. That proves that he's not who he said he was. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. And this all happened three days ago. So this is fascinating. Their, their mindset just blows my mind because they're giving evidence that Jesus is doing exactly what he said he was going to do. Everybody knew that Jesus had made the claim, in three days I'm coming back. Even the Romans knew that. They posted up Roman soldiers at the tomb so that the disciples wouldn't do whatever, you know, have some funny business going on or because they didn't believe Jesus could actually do it, but they knew his claims. And these disciples knew the claims. They even say it. Oh, it's three days, but uh, I know we actually heard from our other disciple friends that he is risen, but it just doesn't seem right to us because it's not what we thought he was gonna do. Most of the disciples and the Jewish people thought their Messiah was gonna come waging war with a sword and destroy their enemy, the Romans. And Jesus came and he laid down his life. And I mean, think about it, it really doesn't make any sense. Why would you do it that way? But it says, we hoped he was the Messiah, but now we see him only as a prophet and a good teacher. Is it possible that in those moments of doubt, we can strip God's divinity away from who he is. And, and not that you can actually do that to him, but the way that you see him, that you don't see him as powerful God who created, who spoke the earth into existence and can do anything, but instead we see him as he's got some good things to say and my life is improved and better by him, but he's not actually God. What I'm facing is too big for him. And these guys lost sight of who he really was, even though they had followed him, they believed him. But in that moment, they lost sight of who he really was because God's trajectory was different than theirs. And, and actually the Bible tells us, he's like, hey, my ways are not like your ways. I'm gonna do things quite a bit different. But in those moments, we don't know what to do with those moments. And we ask questions like, why would a good God allow this? Why would these things happen? I mean, I'm doing everything right. I attend church and my life seems to be falling apart. I went to that small group, but nobody was there for me when I was in the hospital or that relationship fell apart. I tithe, I tried that one time, but I'm still in financial ruin. And we think, we think God like owes us this thing. Like God, I did the thing, I did the formula, but you didn't give me anything back. And we think that's how God works. And I love what Petey said a few weeks ago, if God never does another thing for you, he's done enough because he saved you. But we live in this way where we think like, I gave this thing to you, God. I did this thing. I followed all the, I checked all the boxes and it's not going like I hoped it was gonna go. So the rest of the story, we'll wrap up with these last couple of verses, but it says that Jesus pretended to go on and, and Cleopas and this other disciple were like, wait, 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 stay with us tonight. 
let's, let's eat dinner. Let's, we love this company that we've been having. So Jesus goes back with them, and they break bread. And this is a whole other message, but it says when they broke the bread, Jesus handed it to them, and their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, which is powerful. Verse 31, suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. At that moment, he disappeared. And they said to one another, didn't our hearts burn within us as they talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? I think one of the greatest faith building moments can be getting places, getting places where your heart burns again. Serve in a place where your heart burns again. Connect with people that make your heart burn again. And, and, and it's like their faith was being built as they were talking to Jesus. They didn't know who he was, but they knew something was so special that they didn't want him to go. You have to stay with it. You've got to stay. There's something about you that gives life to us in our darkest moments. Here's the second thing you're going to write down, last point. It doesn't mean he isn't there just because you don't recognize him. I love this. So they didn't recognize Jesus for Jesus. They didn't know who he was, but he was still there. They, they didn't understand that it was him, that he was working on something, that he was in the middle of moving in their lives, of bringing faith to their doubts. But just because they didn't see it didn't mean he wasn't. And just because you don't see what God's doing right now in your life doesn't mean he's not doing something in your life. And, and God loves to like do that. He loves to show up in new ways to us. I heard this story, this crazy, they've made movies out of stories like this, but this actually has happened multiple times. And in 2017, this girl and her boyfriend were in London on a train, Jessica and Rich. They're on this train and she gets a series of seizures for a few minutes that attack her body and her mind is attacked in such a way that it's never the same. She loses all memory of the previous 19 years of her life. She looks in the mirror. She doesn't even know who that person is. She doesn't recognize her mom, her dad. She doesn't recognize, especially this boyfriend, Rich. But this guy, Rich, stays by her side and helps her in her nursing back to health. And what's crazy is that even though she didn't know this guy, his love for her led to her falling in love with him again. And she said in the article that I read, she said, I don't remember the first time that I fell in love with him, but I do remember the second. And what I think is so fascinating about this story and how God works is that he wants you to fall in love with him again and again and again in new ways. And he never does the same thing in our lives. It's always different. And I think we love formulas so much that we want God to do it just like this. We expect him to do it just like this. It makes us comfortable. But God is trying to say to us, my love for you is so deep and so wide that if I keep showing you the same way, you won't see all of the facets of it. So I'm gonna show up in a new way. I'm gonna show you something you've never seen before. There's gonna be new mercies every morning and you're gonna fall in love with me and it's gonna be fresh. And every time that you open up the Bible, you're gonna read a verse that you've read 50 times and you're gonna see something you never saw because I'm that good, because I'm that faithful. He loves to show himself to us in new ways. It's so beautiful. Jesus was hidden from these two disciples, but he was still Jesus. And I wonder today if Jesus is still Jesus in your life, even though you don't recognize him. 
is still moving. And I think God's not, he's not a fan of math, which makes me love him even more. Because we live in a very two plus two equals one world, right? A cone of uncertainty. It's not like I thought it was gonna be. So he meets us in the chaos with that, I'm gonna go above and beyond. I'm gonna show you something that blows your mind exceedingly and abundantly beyond what you could hope and imagine for. So he meets us there and he does things that just don't make any sense. Our daughter's story, it's not over, it's beautiful. She's, she's amazing. And um, I remember the day that Brooke and I were headed to an anniversary date night. We were right in the middle of Brooklyn having to go uh, back with this other family. So we're, we need a break from all of this chaos and it's our anniversary. We head to New Orleans to go on a date. And we had been told by, this, by the social worker that Brooklyn will leave on this date and she's not gonna come back. That's how it's gonna go. So you're gonna pack your bags, pack her bags. You're gonna prepare her for it. You need to start talking to her about this. You need to get her ready to go with her family. So Brooklyn and I are headed to New Orleans on this date night. And it is so difficult for us in this moment. And I believe it was that same week. I remember one night where I'm trying to comfort Brooklyn as we had told her what they said to say. You're gonna go to a new family, your actual, your biological family that's gonna love you and take care of you. And I remember sitting on the ground in the dark in her bedroom, holding her hand because she couldn't sleep. She cried herself to sleep those days. And I remember sitting by her bedside, crying with her, And I remember Brooklyn's pain and I remember my pain and I remember saying in those moments to her, it's gonna be okay, it's gonna be okay, when I didn't even really believe that. And I remember asking God in those moments, what are you doing? We did all the right things. We serve you, we're in ministry, we took this kid in, we love her. Why are you taking her from us? I remember trying to be there for her. And this date night, we're headed to New Orleans knowing that in days we're gonna lose her because to us, she's our daughter. And I remember heading to New Orleans that date night and I remember God challenging Brooke and I to pray the prayer of Job. And if you don't know scripture very well, look up Job. It's an amazing story of this man who had everything taken away from him. And in the, in the end, he says, God gives and God takes away Blessed be the name of God. And I remember God saying, could you pray that prayer? And in tears, we're on our way to that date night and we cry that prayer. And we say, God, you gave us Brooklyn. And if you wanna take her, you're still good. Sometimes you have to pray things or sing things that you don't even know are true. And we prayed that and we had the worst date of our life. (laughs) And we're on our way back. And I remember 
we got a call that night and um, the social worker calls and says, listen, I can't give you a lot of details right now because I'm making a lot of calls, but you guys need to know that all the family members that were coming down to pick up Brooklyn at this court date, they turned around and they said they want you guys to have her. Yeah, so beautiful. She's 15. She was serving in kids today. It's an amazing story, but I, I don't want you to think, I'm not telling you the story to say, God always comes through for you and everything you hope for is going to happen. We live in a very messed up world where tragedy sometimes seems like the end of our story here on earth. So I don't want to give you a false promise or or give you hope in a thing happening more than you hoping in, hoping in him. Because the thing I want you to take away is that even though we didn't, couldn't see it, he was there and he was working even though it felt like the end to us. So it feels like the end to you today. He's there, he's there and he's better than you think he is. I wanna, I just wanna wrap up by just giving you a couple of things to think on. I want you to stand up as we close. There's two things I want you to think on. And maybe today you're the person who came in and um, you don't know Jesus. Or, or maybe you kind of were involved in some kind of a church deal years ago and you just say, I'm not faithfully following Jesus. And I want you to think about these guys, Cleopas and this other disciple. They're running away from what Jesus has been doing. They're trying to save their own life. And what I love about that story is that it says that Jesus came to them on the road. So wherever your road is today, you may be running in the opposite direction from where Jesus wants you to be. But you can't outrun Jesus. He's coming for you to let you know, I have life and life abundant for you. I have a good thing planned for you. So maybe your decision today is to say, I wanna stop where I am and invite Jesus in. Maybe your decision today is, you know, I'm a believer, but honestly, I'm having a hard time believing right now. I don't, I don't know if God's doing anything right now. He's definitely not doing what I hoped he would do, and he's not doing it at the speed that I hoped he would do it. And I just want to inject hope in you today and just, I just hope that you could pray, God, I don't know what you're doing, but I trust you're doing something. And I believe that is enough to keep you going and to wait on his work, wait on what he's doing. So, Let's just pray together. And Jesus, you know every person that's in this room. And I pray that right now in this moment of response that your Holy Spirit would speak. If there's anybody in this room right now that you would say, that's my story. I'm like one of those disciples running from what Jesus wants to do in my life. I've been running from him. or I've not faithfully followed him, whatever that story is. But today I wanna stop and I wanna follow him. I wanna invite him into my story and I wanna walk with Jesus. If that's you, would you lift your hand? I wanna see your hand. Nobody looking around. I see it. I see it. I see it. I see it. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You can put your hands down. So we're going to pray a prayer together where we just want to pray that God would meet you right where you are. And then I'm going to pray a prayer of encouragement over you as believers. So Jesus, you saw those hands that were raised just now that are admitting, I don't want to walk this road alone anymore. I, I, I can't do it. I'm tired of running from you, but I want to submit to your invitation So I admit who I am, that I am in need of a savior because I'm a sinner. 
And I know that you're the perfect son of God who came and made a way for me to be right with the Father. So I surrender to that right now. In Jesus' name, Lord, I thank you for those decisions. Right now, God, I also pray for every Christian, every believer who right now finds themselves in a place where they don't know what you're doing. They're beginning to lose faith. They're beginning to, to dabble in doubt. And even though that might be part of their story, it's not where they're headed. And I pray that right now that you would inject faith into them that you would bring a voice of faith to them, a personal voice, whether it's mine or a friendship, something will happen this week. God, I pray that you would do a miracle in their story and we'll be telling their stories in the future. So God, I thank you that what you're doing right now, Lord, we trust you to keep doing it. And even though we don't see it, we believe you're moving. So Lord, we surrender our lives and our cone of uncertainty to you right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, church, let's worship together right now. Let's lift up his name. Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for weekly recordings of Sunday service and follow us on Spotify and Apple Music for weekly audio recordings and podcasts.